Welcome back to True Crime Shrine. It's a podcast where the planets align really shittily like last week, but sometimes in a good way. Three friends get together and chat true crime, uh, astrology, and any other weird bullshit they can fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. It's like I'm keeping my mouth fucking shut. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode 83. I'm assuming there's no biznatch. We're doing a double record. Uh-huh. No biznatch. No All right. Biznatch. Welcome back, Sarah. I got back from an interview in a lovely Massachusetts town that is not Cape Cod, but because <laughs> I know I've done a Cape Cod one before. And then I was thinking to myself, like, what kind of creepy stories are there around there? And like, maybe not creepy, but straight up scary. And so I found one that is from Springfield, Massachusetts, that is absolutely horrific. And then I had to look and I was like, did someone already do this? Because it sounds like a really big deal. And then it wasn't even on the list of like the master list of topics for us to talk about. So I thought, okay, it's probably I do feel like you find horrific ones. (sighs) Yeah. My genre is historical. I'm just all over the goddamn place. It's kind of all over the map. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like- awful serial rapists and killers and yeah yeah and you're like 50 percent canadian but we're doing massachusetts close enough so springfield is actually like the next like the next city over basically from amherst and like had to drive through springfield or kind of like next to it ish in order to get to where i was going from the airport but so this is the story of and it's kind of a weird twisty one because of the way that i had to look it up was also weird um but this is the story of alfred gainer and his nine victims jesus yeah then i was like oh this is a rabbit hole big huge story and there's the way that i found all these articles they didn't go chronologically because they didn't find out everything until kind of the end and then put it together even then some okay so i kind of made it into my own i don't know story trajectory and I kind of, I put it back together chronologically, but if things don't make sense, maybe I need to revisit some thoughts. But okay. So Alfred Gaynor, he was born on December 10th, 1966 in Springfield. This makes him a Sagittarius. <laughs> but he doesn't like to travel because he doesn't really leave home. <laughs> it does sound like he goes on a number of adventures. Oh yeah. Misadventures. Misadventures. Yeah. That's the way to say it. Little is known about his early years. So Gaynor was born into a family with several children, at least one of which being a brother. In his early childhood, it doesn't have a whole lot of like family life info on him, but they're maybe in a little bit more of like a rough neighborhood where family is really important, but you don't have a lot to go off of. Like the Fast and the Furious franchise. (laughs) So he doesn't have a whole lot to his name, and in his early adulthood after he's done with school... He works low-skilled labor jobs. And then in the 1980s, he worked at an auto repair shop. Like the Fast and the Furious franchise. (laughs) Okay. Continue. Sorry. But while he was working there, he also periodically engaged in day labor, just trying to get more money. It was around this time that he developed an addiction to drugs and alcohol, namely crack cocaine. Not even going to say it. (laughs) Oh, 
God. In the early 1990s, as a result of his drug addiction, Gaynor resorted to a criminal lifestyle. So he resorted to having to steal for money and things, belongings um, to other people, so that he can pawn them and then sell them for drug money, etc. Sometimes resorting to violence in order to get things that he wanted. So from the 1990s, I guess I'll just start the chronological story of his worst misadventures. In April 1995, 45-year-old Vera E. Hallams had allowed Gaynor to stay in her apartment. He had walked there to her home. I guess he already knew her. He had asked to sleep on her living room floor, to which she reluctantly obliged, and she was just trying to be nice and didn't want him to have to sleep outside. Do you know how old he was? In 1995... Shit, hang on. 29? 66. 29. 29. There you go. I was right, guys. COVID has taken everything from me, but it has <laughs> given me the adi- the ability to subtract in my head. Oh, right. Again, I used to have that. Wow. Didn't want him to have to sleep outside. It's April. It's a little chilly. I mean, it's Massachusetts. Yeah. So she's being nice. He's sleeping on the living room floor. She's in her bedroom. But then in the middle of the night- doesn't have a fucking couch. I mean, she probably does, but I don't know. Maybe <laughs> okay. the guy is kind of sketchy or has fleas or something. Uh. <laughs> My fleas. <laughs> Did you say has fleas? I don't know. I'm just like, maybe she didn't want him on her upholstery. Okay. <laughs> My upholstery. <laughs> he offered to sleep on the floor. She's like, okay. okay, fine, whatever. That's fine. Maybe all she had was a love seat and he couldn't fit, right? Oh, maybe, yeah, because he was quite large. Shrimp. I think it. He was like just over six feet. Okay. So if it's a shorter couch, then yeah. So he's there in her house, but then in the middle of the night, he gets up and he goes into her room and attacks her, beating her repeatedly over the head with a kitchen pot. Jesus. What? Then when she's unconscious, he ties her up using cords from kitchen appliances that he'd cut off. This is not his first violent crime, but this is his first- This is the first record. Okay. I thought you said he might have been violent during some of his robberies. Oh, for sure. Okay, but this is like the first, like, against a woman- I'm like, not robbing her. Serious victim. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. So he ties her up with these cords in like a way apparently where like the cords are tied around her neck and her hands behind her back in a way that if she tries to struggle, it tightens the cord around her neck even more. Okay. But that didn't matter because Vera ended up dying of brain injury from blunt force trauma. Okay. Jesus. Then when she was dead, Gaynor raped her body oh. and then robbed her apartment of small valuables and ran One off of those. Lake. He's yep. a fucking necrophile. Yeah. Her body was found on April 20th, several days after her death. Ugh. All right. So that was April. Now we're in June. He is traveling fast like a Sagittarius. Traveling, yeah, misadventures fast. Same Misadventuring city. quickly. Mm-hmm. He just gets bored. He has to do something. Yeah. He just has a bad something. Yeah. On June 15th, 1997, Gaynor met 34-year-old drug addict Jill Ann Ermelini near his home. He lured her to a parking lot under the pretense of selling her drugs, where he then attacked her and strangled her and robbed her before hiding her body in an abandoned truck. Jesus. Then later that year, on October 24th, he met another drug addict who was 29-year-old Robin M. Atkins, and she used the same drugs, crack cocaine. Mm -hmm. And so 
They used it together, and then while in a drugged state, Gaynor attacked Robin, and she was beaten and then raped. And then he strangled her and stole money and other valuables from her wallet. Did she die? Yeah. Okay. Died by strangulation. Okay. Then a week later on the night of Halloween. No. I know. October 31st, 1997, Joanne C. Thomas, who was 38 at the time, met with Gaynor and she had kind of like known of him, I guess. They traveled in similar circles or what have you. But... On Halloween night, Joanne had put her children to bed around 10 p.m. And then around midnight, Gaynor broke into her apartment while her children were asleep. And sometime between midnight and 1230 a.m., the first floor tenant at the apartment at 866 Worthington Street heard a scream, essentially. Jesus. Followed by a thud and, you know, kind of made note of it, but didn't go see what was going on or anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Joanne's son would then discover his mother's body on the living room couch when he woke up the next morning at 7 a.m. Oh, Jesus. Did it say how old he was? It didn't, but, I mean, he's waking up on his own, so probably not like a toddler. Yeah. Getting ready for school and goes down to have some cereal for breakfast and finds her. So she's on the couch. She was naked and covered by a blanket. Her hands were bound behind her back and a towel had been placed over her head. Jesus. It just gets worse. Yeah. The autopsy revealed that her death was caused by asphyxia due to manual strangulation, and her blood tested positive for metabolites of cocaine and alcohol. So that's how, you know, she had also known him that way. There were also signs of sexual assault. Gaynor had left behind a thumbprint on a broken ashtray found in the living room, and a full palm print um, was found on a hair gel container. Various objects around the room also were tested for DNA and in like a non-gross way of saying it, were indicative of assault as well. Okay. Okay. So at this point, the police are basically like, this is awful. Things are happening. They seem to be drug related, but they didn't have a fingerprint or anything like that on file for this guy. So it was just, we have evidence. We're waiting for something. And unfortunately, that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Two weeks later, on November 14th, Gaynor went to the house of his longtime girlfriend, who was this 33-year-old Yvette Torres. They were also abusing alcohol and drugs together, and Gaynor attacked her late in the evening, and in this case, he strangled her and then raped her body afterwards. Hot damn. Jesus. After the murder, he took a VCR from her house, as well as a number of other small items that he could carry, and then sold those for drug money. Her two young sons woke up the next morning to find her body oh, in the bathroom. Jesus. I hate this part the most. Mm-hmm. Then, let's see. Here's another unfortunate case. Loretta Daniels, age 38, also suffered from drug addiction, um, had been working as a sex worker to fund her addiction and get money that way. And she often visited this crack house at 65 Maynard Street in Springfield, where you could obtain crack cocaine for cash or stolen goods or sexual favors. So it's kind of like a crack okay. house brothel situation. Gaynor was also known to be a regular at this house. Okay. So on February 1st, 1998, cold, Massachusetts, <laughs> dead like, of yeah. winter. <laughs> yeah. That'll remind me where we are. Yes. Yep. Dead of winter. Very cold. Loretta's visit to this house would be her last. That evening, Gaynor met with her. Um, And she agreed to have sex with him in exchange for drugs. After they'd walked several blocks away from the brothel, Gaynor strangled her in an alley along State Street, which is like 
an area really close to like the post office that's got a lot of foot traffic during the day. But at night, no one was around because it's cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Again, she was dead. He raped and sodomized her body. Ugh. And then at 9 a.m. the next day, right when everything's opening up, her body was found in the alley. So At least not by her children. Yeah. yeah. Her arms were extended up over her head and held in place by her gray sweatshirt that had kind of been like inverted and pulled up. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the autopsy showed that her death was caused by manual strangulation. There were cocaine metabolites present in her blood and evidence of post-mortem sexual assault was noted. Ew. DNA was extracted um, and tested from sperm cells found on the sweatshirt and on her and were confirmed to be from only one male suspect. So even though she was one of the regular women who would sell sexual favors, they didn't at least have like a whole lot of a mixture to go off of. It was just Mm -hmm. one person that they were after. So that's helpful at least. Yeah. Still nothing. Doesn't come up in CODIS. 42-year-old Rosemary Downs fell into a similar lifestyle to Loretta, she was selling sexual favors for money or for drugs directly at the same house, 65 Maynard Street, on February 10th. So this is literally nine days later. Jesus. Gaynor went to the house with the objective of selling stolen CDs. CDs? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean. How much can you even sell those for? I mean, like, you used to buy a CD for like $15, Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, but you're going to a crack house. I think they want to spend their money on crack. Maybe the <laughs> drug lords who are providing it can pawn it or something. I don't know. You trade crack for CDs. Okay, fine, whatever. I have no the, idea. Not like the banking CD. <laughs> okay, so he goes back to the house with the objective of exchanging stolen CDs for crack cocaine. That evening, he meets Rosemary, and then they go to her apartment, where then they use their drugs together until the very early morning. Gaynor then raped her and then tied her up and put a sock deep into her mouth before leaving. She later died from asphyxiation. Oh, oh he Jesus. just left her there suffocating. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, he's usually very hands-on with the suffocation. Rosemary's son discovered her body <laughs> in the evening of February 11th in the bedroom of her apartment. Oh, it's my like God. He but I think in this case it was an adult son. Dead. Not like he a child. He's killing mothers. Because he comes home and it's like, hey, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, better than like a six-year-old, but like he keeps killing mothers and having their sons discover him. It feels like he has some issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So her son discovered her body on the evening of February 11th and she was in the bedroom tied up. Police had noted that there was no evidence of forced entry. So whoever had done this mm-hmm. must have just kind of been let in. Her clothing had been pushed up around her head, similar to Loretta's body, found just a week prior. Mm -hmm. Um, And a nearly complete palm print was found on a ceramic coffee mug on a dresser in the bedroom, which they said, huh, looks very similar to the other palm print. Hey, we have another palm print. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The autopsy revealed evidence of strangulation, but death was ultimately caused by asphyxiation from the sock that had been lodged in her airway. Mm -hmm. Cocaine metabolites were also present in her blood. Another clue of how all these victims might know each other or at least the suspect Mm -hmm. whatever it's called unsub Unsub. (laughs) there was evidence of sexual assault again okay okay the pathologist estimated her time of death being sometime between midnight and 4 a.m on february 11th okay okay so then at about 11 p.m Seven days later, on February 18th, 1998, Gaynor was hanging out with Joyce Dickerson, PA, 
and a second unnamed woman. They arrived at the Springfield home of a third woman where they all, all four of them, smoked crack cocaine together. But having had shared it, there wasn't enough to go around. They're not satisfied. They go out and try and find more. So they all get into Joyce's car and unsuccessfully try to sell Joyce's gold Mickey Mouse earrings at a pawn shop. Real gold or like... (laughs) I don't know. Or like some Maybe just gold shit you colored. got at Disneyland. Yeah, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want those. Then they go on like some joy ride out to like kind of this cute hilly area. Shit, what's it called? Source of the age. Anyways, they go on a little joy ride trying to get a different kind of high. Doesn't mm-hmm. work. Sarah will figure this out if she ever moves there. <laughs> yeah. I literally, I had it typed out and like now I can't find it in this paragraph. So I'm going to give up. They go on a joy ride and then at the end of the long night... Having not found any extra drugs, Gaynor and Joyce drop everyone off, the other two women off at the original house, and Joyce drives off in her car with Gaynor in the passenger seat, and she was never seen alive again. The next day, February 19th, Joyce's teenage daughter reports her mother missing to the police. She stated that her mother never came back to the apartment the night before, but when she got out to kind of look around, um, she did find her car in the apartment complex, like tenant lot, but it's not in its normal spot. So that was weird. Yeah. Okay. Also weird was that the car was ransacked and the keys were left on the floor of okay. like either the passenger or the driver's side. Didn't specify. Weird. Yep. So she goes to the police. She reports her mother missing. On February 20th, 1998, I was seven. <laughs> that was my birthday let's see springfield police then begin an investigation for joyce's disappearance they interview the two women who are with her on the evening of february 18th and then tried to contact gainer who they pointed to as like the last like this guy was here yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) so they can't really get in contact with him immediately but then a week later he ends up going to the springfield police station where he retold the events of the February 18th evening to the detectives. Sus. So he goes willingly, contrary to the statement. But that's sus, though. Like, I don't yeah. know. Like, Why did it take you so long? Just so that you go at all. Like, yeah. Well, it's like if the police want to talk to you. Bring a lawyer. Well, yeah. Also, like, if he's having to steal things in order to get drug money, does he have a lawyer? Well, he's not going to bring his own lawyer, but <laughs> he's, he brought a bunch of CDs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he's not... A new person to the police either, but like I don't yeah. think they have his palm print on record, for example. Yeah, that's the one you don't normally take. Yeah. So contrary to the statement by one of the women that he was with that night, he said that he did drive away with Joyce in her car after they returned from trying to pawn her earrings. He didn't sit in the front seat of her car. He sat in the back seat. So he's never sat in the front seat, is what he's saying. Okay. Weird choice. If yeah. there's only two people in the car. Yeah. Oh, Holyoke is the little hilly mountain uh-huh. range thing. Oh, okay. So he told detectives that when they returned from the Holyoke road trip, they all parted ways, and then he walked to a bar, the Yellow Jacket, on State Street, and then there he had a drink with a man that he used to work with, but he said that the man supposedly later had given him a ride to Gaynor's girlfriend's home, and that's where he was by the end of the night. Okay. The bartender at the Yellow Jacket bar denied ever seeing Gaynor that night and the former co-employee person that he supposedly knew said he had never seen him that night nor given him a ride anywhere like he would not get in my fucking car (laughs) so that's his alibi is falling through pretty quick yeah yeah like why did he go to the fucking police he has nothing right 
So Gaynor is being questioned at the police station. It's February 27th. The police requested that his girlfriend at the time go and check in and answer some questions too. Yeah. See, here's a girl that should be poisoning her partner. (laughs) Right? If only we could combine the two for relationship purposes. (laughs) Yeah, we need to know what her sign is. We could provide a service. Uh (laughs) So... She's answering questions. The police are like, wait, what? And at one point, she's actually taken into the same room as Gaynor is being questioned in to try and resolve this discrepancy of the time frame. Okay. Are they supposed to do that? It sounds really weird. They to do me. it in Law and Order SV all the time, but I don't think they do the I don't think they do the most proper policing. <laughs> like real side eye, like, don't you fucking dare. Like <laughs> It just feels very um. A bit coercive, like, it just feels like you can get that, if there's a confession, you get that confession thrown off very easily uh, in front of a judge or something. So she's taken to the same room to try and resolve this discrepancy of time frame. Gaynor is saying that he arrived at his girlfriend's home on February 19th at around 12.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And she says she's really not sure about the time. And yeah, sure, that sounds okay to me. But then (laughs) later... She calls the police to confirm that, no, he absolutely did not arrive at that time. He came probably at about 6 a.m. or later. Okay. Yeah, why would you take her into the room with this man who's probably not very nice? Like, Mm -hmm. what do you expect her to say? Yeah. Later on, a friend of Gaynor's would also testify that he showed up to his home in the middle of the night at, like, 1 a.m. asking to borrow $15. (laughs) Corroborating the fact that, like, he was lying. Well. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So while Gaynor is at the police station, they show him Joyce's car that they have, you know, for evidence. Yeah. Um, and they sh- they point out a blood stain on the front passenger seat. And it's not a lot of blood. It's just a tiny little bit. But Gaynor stated that he'd never sat in the front seat. That couldn't possibly be his. And the police asked if he was willing to give some, like, palm and fingerprints and his blood sample to help rule him out from the case of, like, where Joyce could possibly be. And he, mm-hmm. knowing that that's not his blood, he's like, yeah, sure. So his prints are taken. Police okay. drive him down to the Bay State Medical Center where he signs a consent form saying, yes, I give permission for the police to take my blood to s- check against this blood spot, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Four vials of his blood are drawn. Jesus. Holy fuck. How much you? That's like more than the car. <laughs> I know. He sent along his merry way. You have to have your, what is, what do they call that? The... Defense has to also be able to test whatever you test or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say like they, they checked need, his they thyroid, to be able to they checked his A1C, yeah. uh, how's his cholesterol, they did a <laughs> full <real>. blood panel. <laughs> <laughs> Gets his blood drawn four vials. Twelve days later, on March 11th, Joyce's body is found. Aww. So she was naked and fully frozen. Jesus. Well, it's winter. Yeah, it's yeah. cold. Yeah. I forget... Cold it's early March exist. and it's snow and ice. Yeah. And she was found in some bushes adjacent to a building on the East Columbus Avenue in Springfield. Her left hand had been positioned on her abdomen and her arm was kind of propped up by some branches that had been like purposefully cut and put there. Okay. Weird. Um, I don't know why that detail mattered, but that was what they said. The pathologist found that her cause of death was manual strangulation. But the time of death couldn't be determined because the body was frozen. So decomp, insect activity, all those sorts of things that they can use weren't at play here. Yeah. Once thawed, they were able to test her blood and it did also contain metabolites of cocaine. 
um, and there was evidence of sexual assault. So on March 16th, the police are still kind of doing their due diligence, finding out, you know, following their little ant trail, I guess. They go to a pawn shop in Springfield where they learned that Gaynor had stopped by and pawned Joyce's Mickey Mouse earrings on February 20th for $12. Jesus. Found a pawn shop that would take them. (laughs) Yeah. So, right, she doesn't show up at home on the 18th, and then the 20th is when he's pawning her shit. Yeah. But then according to their notes, he had told police on February 27th, after Joyce had supposedly dropped him off at the bar or nearby where he then walked to the bar, that he had told her, hey, it might be a good idea to try selling the earrings at 65 Maynard Street, you know, that house where you can sell goods for- They buy CDs. So that doesn't line up because it already in his earlier- testimony thing or not testimony but interrogation he had already said something that was clearly a lie yeah they have evidence that he pawned them on february 20th then on april 6th 1998 detectives told the defendant that the tests that were done on his blood on the front seat of the victim's car indicated that it likely wasn't his and they also told him that his defense attorney had already gotten in contact with him and that they weren't going to talk to him about joyce anymore okay however Okay. Then Gaynor asks about their progress with the investigations of the deaths of the other women, assuming that Gaynor they must all be connected. Is a fucking idiot. Did he name all of them? Yeah. No, he said he didn't know any of the other victims, but that he wished he could help. Oh. So you haven't asked me about Loretta or Yeah, you said a fucking like, list. Yeah. yeah. So at this point they drop the bomb on him and they basically say, Hey, by the way. You can, because your DNA from those four vials actually does match to something. Not the car. Oh. It matches to this, this, and this. So it matches to several articles of clothing, including socks that had been shoved into victims' mouths, Mm. semen Mm -hmm. found at the scenes, etc. By the way, your palm print was on this mug and this ashtray and etc. We gotcha, buddy. Like, you're going down for multiple murders. Yes, you're very helpful. Thank you. (laughs) So, ultimately, his DNA tied him solidly to these murders, but then in court, there were some problems. So, Gaynor and his lawyer maintained that the way that his blood was taken was a problem. He says that he was tricked into giving it to check check against the blood spot in Joyce's car, but they had used it to check other cases' evidence Instead of, so they weren't okay. upfront about it. So when he consented, he didn't have all of the facts, right? Like that was part yeah. of the freely and voluntarily giving them his DNA. Session is nine tenths of the law, sir. You gave it up though. <laughs> so this leads to suppression issues in court under voluntariness of like consent to search. And so they're arguing that the motion to suppress evidence should be allowed because they shouldn't be allowed to use his blood samples against something that they didn't tell him they were going to be using it against. But it's like, dude, you give DNA, if you're in CODIS, like, you're fucked. Yeah. So he contends the judge should not have made this finding where the disinterested, like, nurse who was taking the four vials, he's saying that, like, she knew, but I didn't know that it was going to be tested. And it's like, well, it's also four vials. And you were saying over and over again you want to help the police in any way you can. Oh, yeah. So you yeah. gave them permission to help. And, you, and they helped themselves, you know? like <laughs> Thank you. So it kind of was, like, thrown out. Like, nope, you don't get to say that. This okay, blood good. is definitely standing. Okay. So literally the consent form signed by the defendant at the hospital stated, quote, After being advised of the rights outlined above, including my absolute right to refuse 
to consent to the taking of a sample of my blood, I do hereby authorize the nurse, blank, to take a sample of my blood and to deliver said sample to police officers of the city of Springfield, Massachusetts, for whatever purpose said police <laughs> officers desire <laughs> in connection with a police investigation. Yeah. All right. Yeah, dude, that's pretty clear. Signed, dated. So, judge found that absolutely not. This is standing. You allowed this. And yeah, then he is basically put away for consecutive, four consecutive life sentences for the murders of four women. Okay. Now, I said that this all comes in a really weird organization because while he's imprisoned, then he starts confessing to other ones. And so I didn't, like, four of the nine, basically. Okay. But I've so far, I think I've told eight. And so this is where I bring up like the last one that was like a big deal story wise. And I say this one last because it's it's kind of fucked. But and like, they're all really fucked. It's, but like, it's, it's very unfortunate. Right? Really, okay. really unfortunate. So Amy Smith, who was 20 years old oh. in 1996, had lived with Gaynor's nephew, Paul Fickling, who was her boyfriend for a while before their daughter was born. But quickly after she was born... Their relationship turned sour, and he had actually hit her a couple of times, so she okay. got a restraining order on him. Okay. On July 11th, 1996, police do, like, a, a wellness check because she hasn't been showing up to, I guess, her normal places that she would go, and family can't get a hold of her. And police discover Amy's body and that of her 22-month-old daughter. No. So Amy and Destiny – Destiny's the daughter – were found inside the apartment. It was estimated that Amy had been dead well over a week and Destiny not quite as long. Oh, no. What the fuck? No, no, no. She starved to death. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about no, that. No, 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 no. Because she's just a baby. Oh, oh. oh, fucking shit. So, Amy, I know this is really... <sighs> it's really like a really hard story and I don't know why I did this one. Amy was positioned half in the closet, half out, with her legs spread open, hands tied tightly with a bra and a sock in her mouth. Her cause of death was asphyxia. Destiny's body was found lying on a mattress nearby her mother, having succumbed oh, to starvation and dehydration. Oh my god. The police found no evidence of forced entry or robbery in the apartment, but they did find a protective order in the apartment barring her ex-boyfriend Fickling from any contact um, with either Amy or Destiny. And then shortly after the investigating officers began dispatching other officers to try and locate Paul Fickling, he actually approaches the apartment and angrily demands to see Destiny. And so the police arrest him on the spot and are like, you need to not be here for one and two we have an outstanding uh, arrest warrant for something else that you've done so Mm -hmm. they arrest him and then they interrogate him for hours at which point he admits in an oral statement to the detectives that he was responsible for the murder he then goes back on this and in a written statement that's you know presented in court basically says no i had nothing to do with it it was this other man and they basically try and find out Like, okay, this other dude, I don't remember his last name, which is fine because he wasn't convicted of anything anyway, so that can remain anonymous. But this other man that he had basically name dropped, turns out that guy had a rock solid alibi and was nowhere near the apartment. So it's not him. Mm -hmm. So then the jury basically says, nah, dude, you're the best option. Yeah. And so he's convicted in the trial in 1997. He tries to do the whole manslaughter thing instead, but he ends up getting 25 to life anyway. Okay. However, then 
11 years later, Gaynor is now in prison, too. Yeah. It's been a it's while. It's 2000, 2008. Yeah. And Gaynor, remember, is his uncle, is Fickling's uncle. Mm-hmm. And so September 26th- oh, I thought you meant he, Gaynor remembered he was his uncle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Sorry. September 26, 2008, Gaynor signed a single-page affidavit in which he took responsibility for the deaths of Amy and Destiny. And so he's stating that on July 3rd, 1996, he ran out of money while drinking beer and on his drugs. He got entry into Amy Smith's apartment by asking to use her bathroom. Mm. So no forced entry. Yeah. Then when yeah. he asked to borrow money from her, she said all she had was food stamps and she can't lend him any. She's got her daughter to take care of, etc. Yeah. So she declined his request to lend food stamps or money to him. And he got angry. He raped and killed her and took $79 worth of food stamps and other details that are too gruesome for me to say. Yeah. Da, da, da. All right. This is a terrible case. Yes. Mm. Gaynor also stated that Fickling had nothing to do with these crimes. He was not there. Well, thanks for letting him like rot in prison for like eight years. He's got four life sentences. I mean, he is his uncle, so could he just be trying to, like, like yeah, I'll serve your fucking time. It doesn't sound like he cares about anyone. Well, maybe he does. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Family is pretty tight for this group, apparently. Fast and the Furious again, guys. <laughs> oh, fuck. So <laughs> the other part of this is the reason why the other stories came out, because he only had four against him. Mm -hmm. The other five that had subsequently come out are because his mother died. And so having lost the matriarch oh. like, in his brain, like he's like, I have nothing left, kind of mentally. Anyways. Or he's like, if he does care about his mother, he's like, well, at least she doesn't know. I don't know. Family is everything. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> so then later during questioning in late December 2008, by the investigating officers in this situation. Gaynor again reasserted that he acted alone in killing Amy, that he had left the door cracked open so that Destiny's cries would potentially be heard. He didn't want to be seen as a monster. Oh, how nice of him. What mm -hmm. a great guy. Uh -huh. He testified, too, that the cocaine, crack cocaine that he used during these this time frame motivated his conduct and all his behavior. Don't really care. Thanks, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fuck off, dude. So then as they're investigating, they go back and they retest some evidence. Instead of it being as easy of an open and shut case with Fickling involved, they went back to the sock that was found in her mouth and found oh. a hair whose DNA actually matches Gainers and not Fickling. Okay. So Fickling had already served 14 years for this. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, because it was 1996 and now it's 2008. Wow. That's 12. 12? I miss counting. Yeah, it's 12. Oh my god, oh my my math god. your math skills like... are on par. Oh, fucking Jesus. hell, man. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Got nothing <laughs> else going for me, so thank you. So then they're trying to go through like a court appeal situation of like, well, if he's if he's guilty and you found DNA, then that means that Fickling's not guilty, right? So then- I guess it doesn't necessarily mean that, but- Yeah, but they need to relook at it, like mm -hmm. everything. So Fickling's lawyer, Joseph A. Franco, was appointed for these plea negotiations and said that Fickling grew up in the same house as Gaynor and was also, like, was always terrified of his uncle, who was abusive to him. And then even during Fickling's first trial, Gaynor was in the halls 
or the courtroom and Fickling was just terrified of him. So Fickling initially told the police that he was at the apartment and had choked Amy, but that another man was with him, right? But he didn't Hmm. say the right man and that he had had fled the apartment shortly after the brutality brutality had started. Mm Mm-hmm. Was like, oh shit, I'm out of here. Instead of like staying and helping, but yeah, um, that's <sighs> not your great. Kid, but okay, whatever. But Fickling gave the police a name, and that name, that man was never charged and found to not be there that night because of his alibi and everything. But it turns out that Fickling was just afraid to say the correct name, which was Alfred Gaynor. Okay, Gaynor was there with he, like, Fickling. Partially said it, like mm-hmm. there was another guy there, but yeah. So he knew this whole time. Mm-hmm. And he had a prison for. 12 to 14 years? Yeah. Even after fucking Gaynor's been in prison for a while at this yeah. point? Yep. I mean, I as a convicted felon, you probably can't be like, i just kidding, it's that guy that's in prison now. Can I go? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it takes a lot to even be able to, yeah. To even, like, reopen the case. like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, he was too scared because he was always terrified of his uncle. He was too scared to say his name, like, to actually point the finger at him. Sure. And so this went on for all this time. And if he had actually just said it was oh Alfred Gaynor, oh, Gaynor would have been arrested in July 1996 before seven other women were mu- were murdered. Fuck. And they would have fucking stuck it to him, too, because of, you know, not only the the woman, but the child. Yeah. Yeah, jury's not going to like that. And then oh. somebody would have shanked his fucking ass in prison. Seems like that hasn't happened yet. Uh, No, that's where I, my writing stops. But... <laughs> Four to nine consecutive life sentences. You say four to nine? Like, well, he was definitely convicted for four. Then he confessed to the other five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No trial, but whatever. But the thing is, Massachusetts doesn't have a death penalty. So, for oh, the record, he's not getting parole. Yeah. Jesus. I mean, this one might actually be life sentences for once. Well, that's true. All right. That's what I got. Oh, that was awful. That was a lot. And I omitted, uh, like, I... You omitted what I can imagine is fucking terrible details. Uh See why I like historical women marrying their, like, murdering their lovers? Yeah. (laughs) So empowering. Wow. That was heavy. That was super heavy. I'm going to lighten it up, though. Okay. Okay. Someone help. So we had a shitty week, astrologically speaking, last week. Ass news. This week, we got some good stuff going on. Okay. So there is a lot, again, but it's a lot more positive than it was last week. So let's let's hit this up. This episode is going to air on, actually, on my wedding anniversary. (laughs) Ah! Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, happy anniversary. He does not listen to this shit anyway. He, like, I was telling... He had a, he tried with the Armin, the first one, <laughs> oh, and no. he was like, the fuck she say about penis? No. Mm-mm. No. No. <laughs> no. And he was like, yeah, I just can't, babe. And I was like, that's fine. He's just a supportive <laughs> get it. pod husband. Yes, he is. Very supportive. But anyways, happy anniversary, husband. And <laughs> <laughs> Good thing he doesn't listen, to be honest. This is a I terrible know, right? gift. <laughs> Monday, November 14th, Mercury in Scorpio will be sextile with Pluto in Capricorn. So this is a little bit more intense, right? You've got your Scorpio and your Mm -hmm. Capricorn energy. But this is going 
to incite like conversations about kind of taboo topics and fun. But the thing about it is that we are going to be using our intuition and research skills to kind of uncover the truths for this. So like ah honestly a Capricorn and a Scorpio will get to the bottom of things. Right? <laughs> It also seems Mm -hmm. like maybe since I have this day off of work that maybe I should write my script that day for the following Thursday. You'll get to the bottom of shit. I'm going to get to the bottom of some shit. And then also the sun in Scorpio is going to be trying with Neptune and Pisces, which is going to give us a really creative boost that's going to help us to push some boundaries. Or write a script. Or write a script. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) I'm thinking this is going to be a really positive day, which... Tuesday, November 15th, Venus and Scorpio will be trying with Jupiter and Pisces. And this is a happy day. Okay, this this week is like making up for last week. Yeah. Woo. This is a generous aspect that's going to boost our spirits by bringing us pleasure and happiness and satisfaction. And then... I'll take it. Venus is going to enter Sagittarius as well. No, I like Venus and Scorpio. That's where I'm in. (laughs) That's me. However, for the next four weeks, Venus and Sagittarius is going to bring us kind of like an all-around love of love. See, I don't want that shit. Give me that intense (laughs) brooding stuff. No, right? We're we're finding our happy hand. We're finding our happy so, and it doesn't have to be love, love, right? It could be like your love of tacos. There's nothing wrong with that, right? My love of this pen. Oh, yes, the dandelion pen. <laughs> Quick side note, when I was really down with COVID, our like lab manager, Carrie, texted me a couple times to make sure I was still alive. And we ended up talking about astrology for a little bit. And she's like, oh, yeah, I know you're a Capricorn, but what's like your moon and your rising? And I was like, also Capricorn and Virgo. And she's like, Huh, that explains a lot. <laughs> I was like, okay. doesn't it? Doesn't it though? It really does. <laughs> yep, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot in astrology that you're like, yeah, that's fucking spot on, man. Spot the fuck on. So <laughs> we continue through the week. Wednesday, November sixteenth, Mercury in Scorpio will be trying with Jupiter in Pisces. So we are going to be feeling altruistic this day and very giving. The only caution there is to be wary of people that may be too needy, right? Don't let people take advantage of you. (laughs) Always wary of that. Well, yeah. yeah. Keep track of your... Yeah. (laughs) Checkbook. Exactly. (laughs) Don't lend money to women. Yeah. (laughs) Even if they're blonde and German. Mm Mm-hmm. And Thursday, November 17th, Mercury enters Sagittarius. So our communication is going to become more optimistic. It will be more outspoken. Just a quick piece of advice that is to remember to be or not to be so blunt because the hammer is not always the best tool in our toolbox. And it's also important for you to remember that Just because you have an opinion about something doesn't mean that it's relevant to the person you're giving (laughs) it to. So that's, this isn't bad. It's just, just the truth, right? Like, yeah, 
Friday, November 18th, the Sun in Scorpio will be sextile with Pluto and Capricorn. And this is going to give us some serious ambition. Oh, I don't want that either. <laughs> we are going to really want and move forward in being successful at our task. But it's very important to remember not to become obsessive about said task. Just, you know, get it done. Be done. <laughs> Move on. Let go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Saturday, November 19th, Mars and Gemini will be square with Neptune and Pisces. And I know this, <clears throat> this last two weeks have been kind of weird because, like, we had some trines that weren't very happy. And now we have the square that normally isn't very happy. But this one's not bad. This just means that this is going to be a, a day for you to work independently. Right? And And you need these days. Fine with that. I feel like that's every day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't need to be validated by anyone. So keep that in mind. Okay, I could use that. Right? And and so it's not a bad day. It's just you don't need other people, okay? You can get shit done. You can... Get your strength from yourself. Exactly. You can do it. And then on Sunday, November 20th... I know, I told you it was long... And this one kind of plays into that as well. But the sun in Scorpio is going to be trying with Jupiter and Pisces. And this is your good vibes alert. This is going to be a day filled with positive and giving energy. And it's going to be a really great time for you to pay it forward with your time or your cash if it's a worthy cause. So money <laughs> if it's a worthy cause, but your time, right? Your time is Everyone a great way to pay it has forward. has a little bit of time they could give. Yeah. And then also Vesta is going to enter Pisces. Vesta. And we really need this Pisces energy right now. So Vesta represents the flame kind of within ourselves and the spark of our life. And while in the dreamy Pisces, we're going to dig deep within ourselves to find that inner strength for us to start confronting difficulties that we've been facing. So this is kind of your come to Jesus day, but in like a positive way. In a non-Christianity way, but yes, come to, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I Jesus. You know what I mean. That does seem very helpful, to be honest. I need to really pull some inner strength from myself and confront my salty ass shit. And the last few months have been pretty challenging, so I gotta, I gotta, like, I don't know, I gotta pull on my strengths and, you know, just kind of figure out my shit, so... So do I. I need this. There's a lot I'm trying to figure out, so. Yeah. But all in all, it's going to be a fucking much better week, astrologically (laughs) speaking, (laughs) than the week before, even though the week before I had a great time. I already know Oh, yeah. (laughs) Wonderful, beautiful, great wedding. Congratulations. I don't know how to end this one, so I'm just going to say please reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Mostly getting junk mail, which is fine, I if guess. If you're sick and tired of the shitty stories that I pick to tell, let us know. And I will try and change my ways. Oh, and we are trying to extend spooky season since into Christmas. I was like, like December. fucking sick all of October. So the days are getting shorter. It's spookier. Yeah. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Any suggestions? We'll we're open. Yeah. And if you don't make suggestions, we'll just keep doing whatever the fuck we want because it's our podcast and we can do so. We might bring you some major bummers. Sorry. 
<laughs> fucking Eeyore over here. It's fine. I can, like, can't all bring a murder that's happened in, like, the last 40 years, so. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, friends, you can connect with us on Twitter at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine. We are on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at truecrimetrine at gmail.com. And then check out the website, www.truecrimetrine.com. Bye! Bye! Awesome. Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.